The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hey, it's Matt Denby. Guess what's coming up on this week's binge list? You know, this parliament is our national shrine to f***ing, which is just... <laughs> I thought the bit where Zoe was uh, making love to her new partner in the shower and he was gently caressing her shark attack scar said everything you needed to know about this. <laughs> she just took sociopath to a whole new level and I loved her for it. Maybe not quite Scandi Noir, maybe Manly Noir. You have hours and hours and hours of teacup clanking and emotional repression and Australian actors doing their best posh accents. It's the ultimate prophylactic. There's more larrikins than you can poke a stick at. But let me just tell you, you will require Kleenex. Your stent is amazing. Oh my God, it is flat out the worst. Yeah, Vanessa Sunshine and the Honey Badger, we're coming for you both. (laughs) Welcome to Binge List, your favourite Aussie TV podcast. Joining me today are Who Magazine's TV experts, Claire Rigdon and Gavin Scott. Welcome back, guys. Hello. Hi. Well, we've got something very special for you today, listeners. Down Under Drama is back in force, and we've got the lowdown on all the very best new shows and some returning series as well. Gavin and Claire, do you think this has been a good year for Aussie drama so far? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think there's been better years, but um, it's. I feel like it's starting to ramp up a bit now. There's a couple of really good shows coming out for the second half of the year. Um, yeah, what do you reckon, Gavin? Yeah, I know we struggled um, when we were taking our recap of 2018 so far a few episodes back. We struggled to, to come up with a lot of Aussie dramas that we loved. Safe Harbour was the one I mentioned. Oh, I, know, I know you, Claire, were waiting for your favourite Aussie drama it, of the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, I was. But yeah. I, I agree. Um, there seems to be a lot more Aussie drama starting for, for the second half of the year. Maybe they've been holding it back until now. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, I prefer overseas shows, I have to say. Same. I, I, yeah. I always have. Um, not, not a cultural cringe kind of way, but just I, I tend to like the storytelling, whether it's in America or with the Scandinavian uh, dramas, things like that. But I am quite excited about a couple of the shows we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, and let's start with Nine's brand new series, Bite Club, which has quite the terrifying premise. Two lovers facing horrific trauma who then have to navigate not only the aftermath of that incident, but their broken relationship as well, and the emergence of an apparent serial killer. Gavin, what did you think? Well, before we get into that, can we all agree that Bike Club is a terrible name for a show? Oh my God, it is flat out the worst. It's, the it's worst. really weird. It's really weird. Matt agreed? Uh, look, it says what is in the can, if you know what I mean. This is a certain type of show and that label is entirely appropriate. But well, it's not at all about <laughs> what you think it should be about, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you might think it's about some weird cult where they sink their teeth into each other. But um, it, it's not <laughs> about that at all. It, it's a shark attack survivors support group, which brings us to the premise <laughs> of the show. We kick off seeing genetically blessed detectives Dan, played by Toddler Sands, and Zoe, played Howdy. by Ash Ricardo. Howdy. 
a hottie hottie out in the ocean on their surfboards when a great white strikes. There's a scene where the shark basically jumps right out of the water, which kind of looks like <laughs> something out of Sharknado. But there's some more effective underwater shots, which, which are kind of horrific. Matt, I know you found that scene amusing slash terrifying, right? Yeah, it was a bit of both. As you mentioned, when the shark launches its way out of the water, it was a laugh out loud moment. I think it was inspired by some of those you know, South African videos that you see on YouTube where they get the sharks to jump out of the water chasing a bait. But the, in this case, it jumped out of the water to uh, sink its teeth into some uh, track um, actors and actresses um, but I, I enjoyed the uh, the lead up to the attack because you knew full well what was going to happen it's a bit it's a bit of terror you know the dark water and then the screaming and what's happening and then the water turns red and it's everyone's worst nightmare worst nightmare of any swimmer or any surfer and it really played on that I thought that was quite effective yeah 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 and and as it turns out it was Todd and Asher's worst nightmare because they're both afraid of sharks um, I spoke to Todd about filming the scene and he Here's what he had to say about it. It was pretty horrific. Um, we, I remember during the first take, because it's a little bit of a blur when you're doing those kind of scenes because they are so traumatic. You're not, you don't really have a self-awareness, um, which is the best because that's kind of what you want to be tapping into all the time. But it, it was pretty horrific. I remember hearing Ash's screams as well during, during the scene and, and, um, and that was terrifying. So she kind of placed me in that headspace as well and then we when they had the crews come down to, to pull us out of the water they worked on us as if they were working on that particular scenario so they were lifeguards themselves most of them and when we played it out we did it all as one shot essentially except for a couple of little grabs they had to get but we played it out as if we had just been bit and we started in the water and we played it all the way through to the paramedics working on you so yeah it was it was it was really confronting so that was Todd. We'll hear some more from him a little bit later. Uh, so after that scene where, where he and his girlfriend are attacked, the show jumps forward three years, and that's where the rest of the show takes place. Three years after this attack, Dan's been off suffering PTSD, and he comes back to the homicide division where he and Zoe worked. But Zoe's got a new boyfriend. There's plenty- Can we, just, uh, we, should, we should point out the fact that Zoe's still alive, right? Yes. yes. Yes, yes, yes. Everyone's still alive. Um, I, I don't know about the shark, but uh, but yes, Zoe and Dan are still alive. And there's plenty of unresolved stuff between them and, you know, their past and present feelings for each other are pretty much driving the show. Uh, otherwise, the show's a relatively standard crime procedural. There's cases of the week and then there's an ongoing mystery, which we won't say too much about because most people probably won't have seen it yet. Um, I wasn't really interested in the case in episode one, but I was quite taken by the dynamic between Dan and Zoe. There's a real sense of longing and pain between them. Claire, what did you think of their dynamic? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Ersty Erst. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, Erst is the uh, industry speak for U-R-S-T, unresolved sexual tension, and they've got it in spades, those two. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of um, of Ash Ricardo, who plays, is it, what's her name again, Zoe? Yeah. Uh, she's, she's fantastic, and she's really great in this as well, um, as as is Toddler Sands. I mean, I, it's funny because, like you, I was really put off by the title of this and I thought that it was going to be another plonker. But um, it's actually great. And the thing that I, I'm, I'm sort of going to have to say that I'm the opposite to you, Gavin. I actually was really in, um, sort of taken by the sort of procedural crime, crime of the week kind of um, thing they've got going on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's actually a really good character study and I think it's it's showing a lot of promise. I've, I've, I've seen the first episode and I'm actually really excited. 
Yeah, yeah. Over, overall, that the the tone is quite dark. I found in this show, it, it's darker than I was expecting for a Channel Nine show. It, it, it hasn't got that forced comedy you get in a lot of local mm. dramas. You know, the the crazy, wacky, zany characters up to their antics, like the nurses in Offspring, who who I love, but would have been out of place here. And so I like that they don't didn't feel the need to shoehorn those in. It's, it sort of has some Scandi Noir overtones. Maybe not quite Scandi Noir, maybe Manly Noir. It is, it, it is <laughs> still, Manly Noir! It, Love it. It is still quite sunny. Matt, what did you make of the show overall? Look, I didn't uh, think it was as successful at being a serious drama as you did. I sort of saw it as a kind of spiritual sequel to Return to Eden, the great 80s Australian <laughs> show about the crocodile attack. You're using Australia's obsession with animal attacks as a gimmick to anchor a fairly standard crime show mixed in with a tawdry, torn romance soap opera. Um, Look, it it had some thrills. It had some silly moments. I thought the bit where Zoe was uh, making love to her new partner in the shower and he was gently caressing her shark attack scar said everything you needed to know about this. Just don't take it too seriously. It's a silly, tawdry drama. It's a bit of fun. I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was good. Oh, silly, silly is a bit harsh, and 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 That's harsh. one uh one character who does make it a lot darker is uh, Dominic Monaghan, who I was really surprised to see in this. Obviously, we know him from Lost and Lord of the Rings. Um, but yeah, he, he plays a member of the Dog Squad team and he's a bit of a complicated character. And Dominic does that quite well. If you remember on Lost, he played Charlie, who was the rock star, who was a drug addict. And he was really nice, but he had these really dark undertones. And yeah, I, I feel like he's bringing that to this show as well. Um, quite why he's decided to do a drama in, in Australia is unclear. Matt, you'd agree with that, I think. Yeah, my big question was, what are you doing in this? What are you? Well, doing? what do you think he's doing? He wants a summer holiday in 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 Australia. He's this earning. My th- I have I have a theory though about a lot of these shows that get greenlit, like Death in Paradise. It's just an excuse for the producers and the actors to go on a jolly and like live out their fantasies of having a summer holiday in the Bahamas or Australia or somewhere far warmer than where they're from. Yeah, look, he's making an honest buck, and I don't begrudge anyone or any actor doing a, a role for a bit of fun. And this is a fun show. I think it's good stunt casting for the show, especially for international sales. Mm. I can't say mm. he made a massive impression on me in the first episode. He was good, but you know, he didn't blow my mind. I thought he was good in it. Yeah, it's 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 a, a clever marketing stunt to have someone of his caliber in a show like this. But can I just say that I? I don't want to talk too much about Dominique's character because um, there is a bit of a twist involved. But can I just say that I'm really annoyed by Channel 9 and the way they've been promoing this show because when I watched it, I went into it not knowing a thing about anything except that it had a terrible name. And I watched it and I was genuinely surprised. But unfortunately, the way they've been promoing this this show, and if you've seen the promos, you'll know what I mean, they're sort of giving little bits away and that's all I'm going to say because there's a lot of people that won't have seen those promos but um channel nine I'm really annoyed with you I'm really spoiler averse as as you guys know so yeah I hate it when when ads give me too much and I don't want to say anything more about Dominic's character except yeah I I enjoyed seeing him another actor who is coming up later in the season uh she she wasn't in the two episodes I've watched so far but she is coming uh later in the season is the late Jessica Falcolt who passed away in early January after a horrific car accident on Boxing Day last year which also claimed the lives of her sister and parents that I mean that was such a tragedy and Mm -hmm. it will make her appear in this show quite an emotional one to watch. I spoke to Todd about Jessica as well and, and this is what he had to say about her being in the series and um, you know how he felt about it. It was really upsetting. 
setting, to be honest with you. I had I had a, lot, a very limited time compared to a lot of the other actors, particularly on Home and Away and Pier and that sort of stuff. But I don't know. There was something that just... It was like a real shockwave. Um, and she was just so lovely and so good. It was... Um, yeah, it was really heartbreaking. I was, I was sort of back home and staying in touch with it every day, to be honest with you, and, um, and then hearing of a passing. It just, it's just too tragic. You can't really think about it too much because you don't even understand what her, her family would be going through. But it's such a loss. She was so lovely mm. to us in, in that small amount of time. So that was Todd talking about uh, Jessica Falcolt, who will be in later episodes of Bike Club uh, and is tragically no longer with us. It, it, it is always sad, um, yeah, watching someone on air who, who has passed away. It, it, you know, yeah, quite emotional to, to watch those scenes. And for the actors and, and crew involved, I think it'll be quite emotional when those episodes go to air later in the year. Yeah, yeah. Now, Bike Club is screening on Nine and is available on Nine now from August 15th. Binge List. Brought to you by Who Magazine. A Place to Call Home has been an Aussie favourite for a while now and season six comes to Foxtel from August 19. This genteel period soap has an awful lot of clanking teacups and stiff upper lips, but there is some really big stuff coming up this season, so maybe some of that china is going to end up being thrown against the wall. Claire, where do we find ourselves as the show begins this year? Well, I mean, I personally find myself really excited. I love <laughs> Place to Call Home. <laughs> So A Place to Call Home's back for its sixth and final season. So we're wrapping up and I have to say that it looks like um, it's going to be a really satisfying conclusion. So we pick up a few months after the events of last year. Um, Sarah and George are back from their little jaunt to Israel and Anna's off in Hawaii with Olivia and Matthew, who fans will know is Douglas's son. And Elizabeth's just back at the um, at the palatial manor, just trying to do her best to get on with life. So we pick up a little bit later. It's 1959, so we're on the cusp of the 1960s. And, uh, yeah, things are about to change quite a lot for everyone in the Bly family. I don't want to give anything away because I love the fact that this show can keep everyone guessing still. Um, but let's just say that in the early episodes of The Wedding and a Death, and I'm not going to say who snuffs it out, but let me just tell you, you will require Kleenex. And that's all I'm going to say. But I was sobbing, sobbing in the, in, in the first couple of episodes. Anyway, so that's all I'm going to say. But the thing I really love about this show and is, is just the fact that it's, it's, high, it's high drama, it's, it's melodrama, but it's just done so incredibly well. Uh, it, you know, it's just, it, 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 I think it's because the actors are just, so great. Gav, I mean, do you watch this show? What are your thoughts? I've dipped in and out of this show over the years as I've had to cover it, cover it at various points, whether interviewing uh, cast or going out to the set. Um, so yeah, I've been in and out of it. Um, but it is one of those shows that you know, despite the progress of years, things don't change too radically. There are plot twists and things like that, but the main relationships kind of you know because the cast has stayed pretty static. Uh, the main relationships between them. Are still there. So if you if you haven't watched in a while, or or if like me you've dipped in and dipped out, you can pick it up really quickly. Um, that's especially because of in the first episode there's a garden tea party, of course, because you know that's, yeah. that's what the Blyes do, and all the exposition you need is at that garden tea party. They bring you right it up is. to speed, and, <laughs> and you know it doesn't feel too clunky. But uh, but yes, there are those clinking teacups that that Matt mentioned. Matt, what did you think of the opening episode? Oh look. 
the clinking teacups, I would like a dollar for every time the teacups clank on sources in this show. You have <laughs> hours and hours and hours of teacup clanking and emotional repression and Australian actors doing their best posh accents. It's all emotional constipation, upper middle class angst and trembling stiff upper lips with loving and expensively realised details of the 1950s going into the 1960s. It's wonderfully executed, but it's not as energetic as I'd perhaps like. But I I understand, Claire, that you enjoy the sort of the more melodramatic aspects of this. I do. I do. And there's been some absolute crackalackin storylines over the time. I mean, Matt, this is why I don't understand why you don't love this show more because you love Wentworth. I do. And Wentworth is, you know, it's textbook in its kind of shocks and revelations. They're so great at the cliffhanger. They're so great at making really out there storylines seem believable. And a place to call home is the same. Now, for people who watch this show, they will know that the ultimate character was Regina, played by Jenny Baird, who I have to say is up there with my favourite Australian villainess of all time. She just took sociopaths to a whole new level and I loved her for it. But obviously, and this is a spoiler if you're not up to scratch, but for people who watch the show, you'll know that she she's dead. She died at the end of last season. So it'll be interesting to see if the show maintains pace without the spectre of Regina hanging over everybody. Um, Yeah, are you up to speed with all of that stuff, Gav and, and Matt? I wasn't aware um, that Regina had died, and and I was I was thinking that yeah her absence I did feel her absence because she was a great villain, um, and and every high camp melodrama needs a great villain, but uh, absolutely they do need to fill that void. Um, Matt, yeah, maybe you're not across Regina, but I think no. you would you would love Regina. She she would fit right into your kind of um, fandom of Wentworth. I, I think <laughs> Regina in Wentworth. There's a there's a weird oh crossover. Has oh, Regina ever I mean, cut anyone's tongue out? <laughs> oh, well, I, you know, like it, things were a lot more sedate back in the 1950s. But, you know, if you did, if you put her under the, the high pressure situation of being in the Wentworth Correctional Facility, I reckon she probably would, to be fair. Yeah. But yeah. Um, look, I have to say that um, I absolutely am obsessed with this show. And the best day of my whole entire life recently, not only was going out to Wentworth, but was also going out to the set of A Place to Call Home, which is filmed in part at this amazing palatial mansion in Sydney called Swifts, which is a historical house, and we had a lunch out there and we got to chat to people on the cast. But the best part was Noni Hazelhurst, who plays Elizabeth Bly herself, gave me a secret little tour of the house. It was so great. I got to see all the rooms that they film in and it was oh, it was just um, – I'm giddy, as you can tell. But, um, yeah, Gav – have you ever interviewed Noni? Like, she's just the best. She she is the best. I have interviewed Noni. Um, I did a set visit, but I didn't get to go to the house. I went to the studio, so oh, I saw the all the interiors, all, all the um, you know, the mocked up interiors in a cold, drafty studio, and uh, interviewed Noni over her lunch. She was very happy to chat, even though it was her lunch break. She's she's very much the star of this show, even overshadowing uh, Marta Dusseldorp Sarah, who I guess is the nominal lead of the show. And it really is all about Noni's Elizabeth. She she dominates every scene. Uh, you know, her character has mellowed a bit over the seasons. In season one, she was very, you know, you did not mess with her and it was her way or the highway. But I guess over the season, she's had to compromise yeah, a little bit. Yeah, she found bit. love with Douglas. Um, yeah. Look, I actually had a lovely chat with Noni when I went out. So I've got a little bit of um, audio from my interview with her. Let's have, a, let's have a little listen to what she has to say about this most recent series and the fact that everything's finishing up. No other love. 
because I actually thought at the end of last season that that might be it because it seemed like everything kind of was tied up in a little neat bow. I mean, there were a few little cliffhangers, but um, oh, Bevan's managed to <laughs> Bevan's so managed to flesh it out pretty successfully. Oh, great! Again. Yeah. So, can you, without giving too much away, say what we can expect? For... Oh, look, I think the the ending is is going to be very satisfying because all of the characters have found a place to call home, whether it's physical or emotional yeah. or um, relationship, oh, whatever nice it is. There, it. Yeah, and there's also a sense of how they evolve further yeah. um, at the ending. So, yeah, I think it'll be pretty satisfying for us. So, that was Noni, best day of my life, talking <laughs> to Noni. I got to sit next to her at lunch as well. Um, but I also got to chat with lovely David Berry, whose character is at the centre of a bit of a fantastically juicy, awesome, big gay love triangle, which we all love a big gay love triangle. I do. But, um... Yeah, put your hand up if you do. Uh, yeah, Gav, what are, are you excited that he's decided to come back for this final season? It, yeah, it is good as an original cast member. It, it's good that that you know he, he's come back. Um, and you know, one thing I like about a place to call home is that, like Downton Abbey, and I know a place to call home gets compared to Downton Abbey a lot more on that in in a second. Um, but on Downton Abbey, we had Evil Butler Thomas, and and you know, and he was gay, and and he didn't get much love on that show, probably because it was the 1910s and 1920s. So it is <laughs> it is nice for James to be at the centre of this heated triangle, you know. Obviously, given the era, it's the 1950s, it's a little bit more liberal, but not that much. It's all very hush hush. There are lots of whispered conversations and intense staring going on, and it's kind of tolerated by the family. There's that scene where Elizabeth tells James the staff have ears, although of course the staff yeah. the staff would all know they'd know exactly what's going on with James and why he you know he's not with his wife anymore and who all these hot men are traipsing around (laughs) the the building um you know especially if James is going to go and get into an argument with Dr Henry Fox played by Tim Draxel they're um they get into a quite a heated debate and Matt I know you love part of their exchange I do I do I do you know with this show you've got hours and hours of repression and stiff upper lips and then you come out with eruptions of dialogue like and I quote you brought me here with the promise of forever and then found your Riviera route that was the best <laughs> it was Riviera that was the route. best it was, it but was. No, no, no. Do you know what was better than that was the scenes in last year's season when, you know, you got to see him with his Riviera route on the terrace, in, in on the Riviera. I actually had to ask David. I was like, did you shoot in the Riviera? He's like, no, no, it was just a green screen. Oh. <laughs> it was so cheesy. I loved it. <laughs> Yeah, I think the producers need to look more at some of the best of Downton Abbey to see how to make a genteel, period-obsessed drama with a bit more bite and some more sort of signs of a pulse now and then, I think. Oh, it would wash be... your mouth out, Matthew Demby. <laughs> oh, diversity of opinion. <laughs> no, it's perfect. And you know what? It's so perfect that David even decided to come back and, and, and play out the vision of creative Evan Lee and how he really wanted everyone to get their proper ending. And I don't know if you guys know, but David Berry's like, he's a big deal now. He's on Out, Outlander. Mm. He's like, he's the next international heartthrob trademark. Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty cool that he came back. Here's a little bit of what he had to say. Are you still shooting A Place to Call Home as well? Yeah, I mean, so I've missed... I've been in the, I've been in the majority of this season, I think, I believe. So they've been able to sh- 
sort of shoot around, shoot around, around my schedule, which is like incredible. Um, it doesn't it never happen, um, but I think like uh, I, I, you know, I, I also really wanted to, to be in this, knowing it was the last season. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. No, it wasn't about being nice or anything. <laughs> I think like the show has always been really important to me. It's the first yeah, thing I got out of absolutely. drama school. Yeah. And, you know, people here like I don't think it's it's not fake. People here like really are like a family and have formed like really you know true genuine bonds. And so yeah. to see the character out um, in the way that Ben intended is, is you know really important. Oh, to that's me. great. So that was the delightful David Berry. <sighs> Another life highlight. That little chat. Um, yeah. Look. Um, it's really great that this series, which has had such a checkered history, being on Channel 7 and then getting picked up by Foxtel, is actually getting given the send-off that it deserves. I personally think it's one of Australia's best dramas and it's incredibly successful overseas. It's sold to something like 45 different territories. Um, so I'm very sad that it's finishing up, but I'm absolutely thrilled that it's getting the send-off it deserves. Gav, Matt, what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I agree. It's good that it is getting a proper send-off because obviously after season two, when uh, it was, uh, I guess, unceremoniously uh, taken off air, um, it did. It, it, it was unresolved. There were more seasons in it. I think it's the right time for it to end. It's the end of the 50s. It's the end of season six. It's probably a good time for it to end. Matt? Look, I think for all my criticisms, I can see this is really lovingly made and I'm well aware of the fan base of this show that absolutely adore it and are obsessed with it. And I think for their sake, if there was any more juice in this story, please keep it going. But if the creators think it's time to wrap it up, then maybe it is. Anyway, I think if you like a place to call home, you're going to love this new season. And it's on Foxtel from August 19. G'day, Tammy Shenandy here. And um, you're listening to The Binge List, which I hope you knew because you <laughs> voluntarily downloaded it and pressed play. Uh, that's all true. <laughs> true story, Channel 9. Nine's Doctor Doctor is back on screens with season three, continuing that strong tradition of city slicker exiled to the bush dramas that Aussie networks seem to love. There's a bit of a twist in this season with central character Doctor Hugh Knight facing a crossroads. Gavin, your thoughts? So as you listen to this, we're a couple of episodes into the third season and the whole premise of Doctor Doctor has changed, kind of. Bad boy Dr. Hugh Knight, who's played by Roger Corsa, he was sent to the small country town of Wyhope for a year's probation. He's now off that probation, and yet he's still in Wyhope, where his family just happened to live. He was going to return to Sydney, but a couple of family emergencies have kept him there, which is good news for people who like the show. Also good news, Hugh's love life hasn't got any less complicated with you know, a number of women in the mix. His colleague Penny, his estranged wife Harriet, I think there's one other knocking around, but uh, you know that, that, that's Hugh, he's, he's always got a couple of ladies on the go. And obviously this show succeeds or fails due to the performance by Roger. And I think he does a good job of portraying Hugh as a bit of a dirty dog without him coming across as sleazy. He's very, char- he's very charismatic and yet he's not perfect. Claire, are you a fan of Roger? I'm a huge Roger Corsa fan. He's not not least of the fact that he's a really lovely person in real life. Um, he is. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's one of those people. You know, we interview a lot of people through our jobs and he's one of those people who's genuinely pleasant to chat to. Mm. But, um, yeah, so um, but I, ha- I find it quite hard to disassociate him from his character in this. Um, but, yeah, I, look, I'm not the biggest fan of Dr. Doctor, which is strange because I love Claudia Carvin, who is behind this show. She's one of the executive producers. And, um, uh, look, it's just a little 
uh, you know, I like my dramas to be a little more love my way and not as soapy as Dr. Doctor is. But Roger is good in this. Mm. I just, I have real problems um, separating him from uh, Who Magazine's Pete Timms. <laughs> oh, Pete. Do Our you, old colleague. You, do you, yeah, we, we, Gav and I worked with Pete about 10 years ago and he is a spitting image of Roger Corsa. So I find it all very strange. Yeah, yeah. And people, if you haven't checked out uh, Pete's podcast, our sister podcast is Who Are You? The other Who Magazine podcast. Fantastic one. Check it out. Matt, do you, do you think Pete looks like Roger? He does a little, yes. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. So when I watch this show, I just think of Pete and Roger and I just, they all kind of blend into one to me. And then I, I just kind of, it starts to all get a little bit confusing as to who's who. <laughs> <laughs> so other than Roger, the things that Dr. Doctor has going for it, are it's country setting, it's filmed in Mudgee and Camden. It really does look great on screen and it has a good ensemble cast, including Matt Johnson, Nicole De Silva, who I know Matt is a fan of, and Tina Bursal, uh, who are members of Hugh's family. Unlike Bike Club, there are comedy characters in Doctor Doctor, many of whom work in the hospital, which again reminds me of the hospital staff in Offspring. What is it about people who work in hospitals that they have to be wacky and zany? Who knew saving lives could be so much fun? Um, so I, I feel like there are a few things to recommend Dr. Doctor. What do you think of the show as a whole, Matt? Look, I think this could easily be on the ABC on maybe a Sunday night, watched by a lot of 60-pluses, but it's got a bit of a mildly edgy um, element to it. It's enough to keep it interesting. There's a death by heart attack after sex in the back of a ute. There's an obnoxious Mm -hmm. teen who tips buckets of water over pashing couples at a party. And then we have dialogue like, your stent is amazing. I think that it's, uh, (laughs) it's got something for everybody. It's not really to my taste, but it's well-constructed drama. And being season three, things need freshening up a bit in Doctor Doctor, and in episode three, which is the next one to air, we have the arrival of Vince Colosimo, who plays Charlie's father, Charlie played by Nicole De Silva, and uh, Vince pl- plays a character who, like you, is, you know, he's a charismatic guy, but he's terrible at commitment and responsibility. Also coming up this season is Miranda Tapsell, who seems to be in every Australian show, including Play School. Uh, oh, play School for life! She's the best in that. She plays an old school friend of Ryan Johnson's character, Matt. So, uh, yeah, there's some new blood coming into this season of Doctor Doctor. Claire, are you excited by the prospect of Vince and Miranda on your screen? I'm decidedly unexcited about the prospect of Vince. (laughs) I feel like he's one of those people that just pops up in everything and I'm getting a little bit sick of seeing him in bloody every show on commercial TV. I'm very excited about Miranda Tapsell, though, because she is just the best. Not only is she and my son's favourite presenter, she's also a really fabulous actor. So I'm very excited to see what kind of a character she's going to be playing. I I feel like this show needed a bit of fresh blood. It was starting to look a little bit samey. That first episode back just really dragged. I mean, I get that they were trying to mine some emotional territory there, but I feel like they need to pick up the pace a bit. What do you reckon, Matt? Yeah, I think so too. Look, this show really is not for me, but I am enjoying Nicole De Silva being the Wentworth freak that I am. I think she brings a bit <laughs> yeah. of energy to it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny in places. It's um, got some twists, but it's still very predictable and quite sedate. I don't think that I'm the target audience for this, actually. No. It has, it has a loyal audience. Re- ratings for the series return were solid, um, and it really is the type of show that can bobble along for years, and then before you know it, it's season eight. Um, and I think the fact that it's quite easy to 
Apple Watch has a lot to do with it. There's a heavy dollop of family and personal drama. There's enough medical stuff thrown in, like that stent, uh, to keep the stakes high. <laughs> and it, you just like saying the word stent. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a classic view of Australiana. There's farm life. There's a local community spirit. There's more larrikins than you can poke a stick at. So, um, so yeah, it is the type of show that could really bubble along forever. And I spoke to Roger recently asking him if he thought, you know, what kind of lifespan Dr. Doctor had, and here's what he had to say. And do you feel like the show could go and go and go as long as there's a reason for Hugh to stay in Why Hope and that doesn't become too too ridiculous? Yeah, I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head with the, with the premise of the show, you know. If someone's so ambitious, you know, that, that's the heart of him, coming up with ways uh, for Hugh not to lose his ambition because as soon as he loses his ambition, it's, it's not... Hugh, and then you haven't got the push and pull of the show, which is, mm. you know, the, 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 the city energy of Hugh, um, and you know he's kind of kind of disdain for the you know the backwater, the small town life, um, even if he's wrong about that. That's kind of, that's that's the push and pull of the, of the show. So it is. It's keeping that you know you know feasible way for that uh, that premise to be to stay alive. So, but yeah, I think I think so. I mean, you look at. Other great shows that were shot, you know, that are sort of being set in, you know, rural settings. Uh, they run for a long time, and I was on the clouds. That went forever. I mean, I was only on the first three, or three and a half series, so I think it ran another four, five, or six after that. Mm. Um, and um, you know, flying doctors and country practice, they all went forever. So, um, so I think when you when you when you sort of hit a chord with this genre of show, that was slightly different. It was more of a comedy drama than other shows. But um, you know, with this setting, this rural setting, you know, you can you can uh, make series after series. So, but, but but who knows? Thanks for that, Roger. And Doctor Doctor is screening now on Nine and available on Nine now. To binge or not to binge? That is the question, Claire. You've been watching Rake season five on the ABC. I have, and oh my goodness, Rake, you rascally rascal! I adore you, and I adore Richard Roxburgh, who plays him. So yes, Rake's back for its for a new season, and Richard Roxburgh, actor and producer, is at the helm once more. But instead of just playing the roguish barrister that we've all kind of, barrister. Barrister <laughs> that we've all come to know and love. Uh, look, he's now the roguish barrister turned politician. Yes, he uh, Stephen Bradbury'd his way into a seat in the Senate. So this season sees him running as an independent senator in Canberra, and it's hilarious. This show has jumped the shark, but in the very best way. A lot of the plot of the first episode veers into farce, but it works really well. And there's some absolutely hilarious lines in the first and second episode. So having Cleaver transplanted to Canberra has really reinvigorated the series, I think. And, uh, you know, there's some absolute zingers. Like in in Cleaver's maiden speech as a senator, he stands there and says, uh, you know, this parliament is our national shrine to wanking, which is just (laughs) so bizarre but kind of true. You're like, yeah, everyone in Canberra is a dead-set narcissist sociopath. And Cleaver's going to fit right in. (laughs) So, look, it's really, really funny. It's really great. Rake fans are going to absolutely love this. As a fan of The Thick of It and Veep, which are the US and UK kind of um, political comedies, uh, this is really in that vein and it works really well. And I'd heard that this series was finishing off and I really, really hope it doesn't because there's a lot of life left in this. There's some great guest stars from Jane Turner um, who plays a conservative uh, right-wing senator. 
And Anthony LaPaglia is absolutely hilarious as the U.S. Secretary of Defense. So, yeah, look, you guys, if you're a fan of Rake, then you're going to really, I think, love the way that they've sort of changed things up this season. Right. Thanks, Claire. If you're keen, Rake is screening on the ABC. Gavin, it's your turn. 800 Words is back on 7. Should we binge Season 3, Part 2? It is back. And Matt, if you thought Dr. Doctor was gentle viewing, then that's even more the case with 800 (laughs) Words. It recently picked up the back half of Season 3. It it follows that pack to the rafters structure of having seasons split in half with quite a lengthy gap in the middle. Right. In this case, the first half of Season 3 ended in October 2017. So, Fans have been waiting all these months to discover what happened at the end of Woody's wedding. Why did they do that? Why? I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised it's been this long of a break. and I'd kind of completely forgotten about the show. But um, it, it started when widower George Turner, who's played by Eric Thompson, relocated to New Zealand with his two kids. And the big question from that cliffhanger at, in, in the middle of season three was... Uh, who George spent the night with after the wedding. He's another male lead with multiple romantic prospects, kind of like Hugh on Dr. Doctor. And meanwhile, his kids, Shay and Arlo, are also having love crises of their own. So the tone is even lighter here than with Dr. Doctor. It's a type of small-town drama that Aussie and New Zealand TV does so well, and it is a co-production between Australia and New Zealand. Uh, The New Zealand landscape is a character all of its own. It's light and breezy. There are quirky locals are plenty in it it's almost old-fashioned in a way and i could really see this on the abc obviously it's mm. on it's on channel seven and does quite well for them it it's, looks like sea change to me yeah Reminds me of that show it's well executed it might be too light for some people it is however an alternative to a lot of the dark and more taxing fare on tv at the moment so if you want something you can relax while watching instead of being on the edge of your seat it's an easy binge on seven plus the rest of season three is on seven plus and the first couple of seasons are there as well so if you haven't watched it, um, you can tune in from the very start. Right, I think I might do that, actually. If you're interested in watching 800 Words, check it out on 7. Now, it's time for this week's Hidden Gem. The Hidden Gems are often the best, and Claire, you've been watching The Letdown, which is available on iView in Australia, and if you're outside the country, on Netflix internationally. Yes, look, remember a few episodes back when we were lamenting the fact that Australia just can't do comedy? Well... Let the record show that we were all wrong. I completely forgot about this show, which is written and created by two women called Sarah Scheller and actress and comedian Alison Bell. And it's got the Chasers Julian Morrow as executive producer. So basically... um, the pilot episode of this comedy ran as part of ABC's comedy showroom pilot initiative a couple of years ago, I think two years ago, and it was subsequently picked up for series. And it ran last year and yet they're currently replaying it on ABC at the moment and you can watch episodes on iView. So basically, um, look, I have to say it's been getting a lot of buzz and it's just picking up. It's one of those word-of-mouth shows that just more and more people keep seeing, partly because of its um, pick-up deal by Netflix. And it's just fantastic. So basically, um, if you just watch the first two episodes, you'd you'd think that it probably just deals with Audrey, who's played by Alison. It's her first foray into Mother's Group and Noni Hazelhurst plays the maternal child health nurse who's overseeing everything. So you could think it was a certain type of show about the solidarity you find from sharing that sort of new motherhood experience, but it's so much more than that. By episode four, you really get a sense that it's about so much more than Audrey's struggles to have it all and be the best mum she can. And it kind of becomes this exploration into what it's like for a lot of the other people around her. So what it's like to be a new parent, 
through her husband's eyes and the interaction she has with her own mum and grandmother. And it's really quite heartfelt and quite complicated and very, very real. So for people who are new parents, um, you're going to find a lot to identify with this, but it's very, very funny as well. So for those not familiar with why it might be called the letdown, look, not only is it alluding to the very real reality check you get when you become a new parent, which is uh, that realisation that it's not all fluffy ducks and baby powder and huggy commercials and little tissue boxes and blah, blah. It actually refers to that point where your milk comes in when you're breastfeeding. So uh, that gives you an idea of what this show's about. It's kind of, it's a very real and very funny look at what it's like to be new parents. Look, this is one for anyone who's ever thought about having kids. It's the ultimate prophylactic. Uh, but it's also the ultimate warm hug for anyone at the coalface of newborn parenting. And I absolutely can't speak highly enough of this. I think it might be my favourite comedy of the last 10 years. Um, Gav, you're a new parent. What do you reckon? Even better than Street Smart, Claire. You like this more than Street Smart? Oh, look, you know, oh, which can I just say has been canned. Yes. yes. Um, Yeah, what do you reckon? Because I just love this show. I haven't checked it out. I think I was walking through the room when when it was on in our house, Um, but I haven't actually sat down to watch it. But yes, being being a a new parent again for the second time, um, I am definitely all about, um, yeah, life not being that easy <laughs> it's a little bit too real at times this show and if you watch it you'll you'll get my drift i mean it's just warts and all and it's you know there's a couple of scenes where i was like oh my god did they put a hidden camera in my house was someone recording me in the first six months of my baby being alive like i was barely keeping it together there's a real sense of like watching your life unfold when you watch this comedy sounds fun well if you enjoyed this week's show make sure you are subscribed and please get in contact with us via twitter look out for mr Matt Denby, Gavin Scott 99, and I am Claire. Next week, we're going to do a deep dive into The Bachelor on Channel 10. Oh, yeah! I'm already obsessed with Vanessa Sunshine. Yeah, Vanessa Sunshine and the Honey Badger are coming for you both. (laughs) Until then, everyone, happy viewing. Bye. 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 Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 